another broadcaster has put out a, a question to post mill people like me. I have some thoughts on Ted Lasso from Apple Music. And yes, we'll talk a little bit about the Trump Town Hall on this week's Corey Truax Show. It occurs to me even there in the intro that I just tossed the term post-mill out as if more than 1% of people know what that means. And I will explain that here in just a moment. Welcome to the Corey Truax Show, wherever you find podcasts. Glad to have you with us amongst the many other roles I fill. Right now, my favorite one is husband. It's the best, but uh, I, I, I get to do lots of other things. But my uh, what I do on Sundays is what I want to tell you about right now. I am the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at 1030 in Greenville, South Carolina on Sunday mornings and lots of other various times for discipleship purposes. But if you are without a church home, you are invited on any given Sunday morning. I heard some great audio recently, and I suspect I will credit it properly best I can and use it in church sometime soon. I'm going to use it on you right now. And I will also make it make it my own because I think I can make it a little more clever. I, I said that thing about post-mill a second ago, and as soon as I said said it, going into that intro, I went, I just ali- not just alienated, I just lost a lot of people. Like, who, who would know that? It's a th- big theology term. If you don't know it, means my view of eschatology is that we're the the millennium of Jesus the reign of Jesus has inaugurated it has happened he is ruling and reigning right now and here down in on earth we we the Christians work out the kingdom we grow the kingdom and to bring to fullness the into 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 full relief or uh, practicality the reign of Christ everywhere and in every part of life and so I don't, you know, we're not, I'm not thinking things have to get worse and we come, Jesus comes back for a rescue. That's what I mean. But I had that thought, I man, no, no one knows what post-millennium means. It's like when, it's like when someone's preaching and they say, if someone has a different soteriological view or their eschatology doesn't quite match what I'm seeing here, or the textual critics will say, and just assume the whole room knows, it's a rough one, right? But, and it's rough on some folks. At the same time, this audio I heard, criticized not the pastors and preachers who do that, but instead the hearer who gets confused. And don't don't tune me out, because it is it is my opinion for pastors, preachers, teachers. Yeah, it's our job to at least contextualize to our room. There are people who get been out of shape over the idea of contextualizing the message. They just want you to give the gospel clearly and don't don't use the culture's uh, the culture's arts or the culture's stories just give the gospel, don't contextualize. Well, you at least should contextualize to your room, the room you're in. And you might have to go back and teach some concepts over and over again until people know it. That's one of the things I love about Beachwood Church, largely. I think a lot of our people do know a lot of those terms, and we can speak at, that, at a fairly high level at, at church. But anyway, my point here being, the criticism was... Yeah, you, you tell me you can't remember what eschatology and soteriology and uh, baptismal regeneration, uh, pedo-baptism, you, don't, you can't remember all those terms and words. But gentlemen, there's a lot of you where I could ask, hey, uh, when you're in 11 personnel, do you like to run 11 personnel with two tight ends or do you like the old eye formation with the fullback? Now, now on, that, on that third down play where they went play action on a third and one with that bootleg to the right... You thought that was a good idea? Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I know it's not obscure, but guys, 
I know. I mean, I can give you technical definitions right now, as a lot of guys I know can. The difference between a base four three, a nickel, and a dime defense. What that means to line up in the spread versus lining up in the triple option. I know all those things, and a lot of guys do. And I am telling you, especially gentlemen, if I'm if I'm talking to you right now, you, there's some, some obscure stuff you could tell me about fishing reels and hooks and. And it, it would even have big words in it, like eschatological, and you you could do it. The example the other guy was giving was when people have health problems out of nowhere, they are very good at big words. They don't know what soteriology is and or the five solos of the Reformation, but they can pronounce all, all their medicines and tell you how they're worried about their pulmonary embolism. Like we, we learn real quick when it's something we are very concerned about. And what his argument was is, well, we should be very concerned about theology. And I just took five minutes of the show to do something I didn't plan to do. I'm kind of sorry about it. Three things for you today. Three things for you today on the Corey Truax Show. Number one, there's a gentleman who hosts a show called Wretched Radio. His name is Todd Friel. And I am very appreciative lately of something he's trying to do. He is very charitably trying to, I would go facilitate, facilitate the conversation inside of Christianity, inside Orthodoxy, about the relationship between the Christian and the government. You've heard me wrestle with this for years now. And I think COVID is what caused it to, uh, the, off, the opposite of ameliorate is to accelerate. The acceleration of this discussion was governments are doing lots of things to churches around the world, world, telling churches not to meet. And so it brought into some intense conversation, what's the relationship between the church and the government and the Christian and the government? Which has now led to some great articles, by the way, I would love to point you to, because uh, there's a guy who wrote a book called The Case for Christian Nationalism. That's a, a fraught term now, but he makes a, a case for you know, Christians taking care of the government, I guess, you know, lawfully, although he does make some arguments in the book about sometimes the need for revolution and using weapons for revolution. And it's getting good responses right now from guys that disagree with each other, also agree with the premise of Christian nationalism, and they're all inside the faith. I read articles recently, one called The Case for Christian Citizenship and one called The Case for Christian Faithfulness. They were giving other views besides Christian nationalism on how the, the Christian relates to government and how the church relates to government. And guys, these are very... They seem to disagree with like the, the Doug Wilson types in Canon Press who are rock-solid guys who will then disagree with the Todd for Doug Wilson types in Canon Press who are rock-solid guys who will then disagree with the Todd Friel, John MacArthur types, and they're all rock-solid guys, all in the family together. They're all pursuing or pushing, teaching different views, one where the Christians should just be in, the Christians should be in charge because we're right, seems to be the attitude of some. There's more folks that are probably more closely aligned with me where we want to, yeah, we, we have no qualms saying we want Christian everything. We want the government to have Christians in it making Christian decisions. We want the movie studios, the music studios. We want the sports teams owned by Christians. We want you know, entertainment, edge. Yeah, we want the school boards, and we want Christians everywhere. And how do we do that? We make Christians. We, we evangelize. We live authentically, genuine Christian lives. We win people in all over the world, not just here in the United States. We make Christians who choose Christians and want Christian things, and the power of the market ends up creating a beautifully, wonderful, Jesus-loving place. And then there are those, I would put Friel in this category, and I think it's partly just because they are rapture people, uh, and they are 
you know, some kind of tribulation, seven-year tribulation, uh, like a literal seven-year trial and tribulation on earth, tends to be more like we just we, we pray for the government, we vote, we try to convince people, but ultimately we're just not here for that. And that might be too simplistic of their view, but what I'm saying is Freel has done a good job of saying to all the people who even dis- disagree with him, we're all in the family, everybody. And it is the debate of the moment. If you live in preacher Twitter, like theology Twitter, some some Facebook groups, this is the thing of the moment, trying to figure out now that government has become so antagonistic of the church in the West, Canada even worse than us, What what is our theological statement? And so, Friel had a honest, I thought, good question that I want to respond to. Just like me and my wife, Friel and his wife watched a lot of the coronation of the King of England, now I guess a week ago. And he and I had a lot of the similar reactions. Guys, I'm glad she got me up to watch that. It was such a... Some of you aren't into the monarchy. I'm not really, but some of these visions and symbols are just powerful. Some of the things that guy said, the Bishop of Canterbury, whatever he's called, hands the king an orb and says, this is a symbol of your authority under the authority of God. You're a, a steward of God's authority on earth. Like Literally what, what we would say the, theologically to anybody who's in charge, your, your authority is not yours. God gives it to you. We say that to Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un and Joe Biden and Donald Trump and Justin Trudeau. We say it to all of them. You have no authority. You have no power. God has chosen to give you some authority and power. We also say it about your boss at work. We say it about the teachers in the classroom. All authority is God's, and we, he, he loans it out for different jobs to do here on earth. And they're handing him, you know, they got the gauntlets and the crown. And so I get caught up in the pageantry of it because my theme of Jesus is king is being activated. Because if this is the pomp and the circumstance for this king, this earthly king of kind of a dead empire, not much of not much of a world power as it, as it used to be, and that's the pomp and circumstance for this guy, I start thinking about the pomp and circumstance of King Jesus overall. It's not going to be that itty-bitty purple crown they put on his head. You know, It's not going to be those little robes. This is a different kind of king. And so I was charged up about it. I loved it. And then Friel comes on the air and says, for you people, especially people like me, who say, yeah, I think they're... There should be Christian everything. He has to, is that what you want? Do you want a Christian king? Because he was uh, this king, this earthly king, was even making vows to protect the church. And, you know, in their system, the the monarch is technically head of the Anglican Communion of Britain. They're head of the Church of England. Is that where you? Is that what you want? So I want to clarify that for those who are also wrestling with it. Do we want? A monarch? Do we want a Christian monarch who runs, who's the head of the church? Well, the second part, no. We firmly see that there are three realms here. Governments wield the sword. They're supposed to take care of uh, defense from outside threats and doing justice inside the borders, uh, adjudicating harm done one to another. That's not given to the church. That's given to governments to do. And then, uh, do we want a king? I would just say this, where there are kings on earth, yeah, we want Christian kings. We don't think they should run the church, but if there, you know, there are still kingdoms in a lot of Central Africa, South Africa, so I meant to say Southern Africa, 
there are some places on earth that still have kings. Yeah, we, we do want Christian kings. The same, way we want, the same way we want Christian prime ministers and Christian presidents and senators and congresspeople and parliamentarians. I guess not parliamentarians. Members of parliament, attorneys general. We want, a, we want them all. Yes, that's what we want. But no, to clarify, then no Christian attorney general, prime minister, president, whatever, should ever have a role in church governance. The two things are very, very separate. So I wanted to lay out what I've been thinking about in this debate the church is having about the relationship between the Christian and government and the church and government, and then finish with this. The thing I've been most impressed with as Friel over on Richard Radio has talked about it, he's so charitable. He is so quick to recognize that the people that don't agree with him on this are brothers and sisters, and they're smart, and they are they are desiring deeply to be faithful to Scripture. And I just want to toss that to all of us. When, when someone disagrees, the attitude we should have, the, even the, the humility with which we present it, present our thoughts, is so important. It's a skill I've learned in professional settings. It's, it's one of the important parts of when, when your job includes needing to talk with other people. I find that entrepreneurs I know, some of them that have started their own business and don't have to have employees, they'll run into this problem where they, they never bump up against anybody. They sometimes bump up against their spouse, but they don't know what it's like to actually work in an environment where there are co-equals and there are dynamics where you just don't get to do whatever you want. Like entrepreneurs sometimes, I'm thinking of just two or three people I know that don't have employees, they struggle with this. I've learned the power of just saying, here's my take. Here's my opinion on that. And then give my point. Just starting with, here's how I see it. It's such a disarming way to talk. It is the opposite of walking into a situation and going, here's how it is. When people do that with me, I'll listen. But I'd say from the moment they start, I'm like, all right. People think of me sometimes as a know-it-all. But that's my, I don't know if that's a character I just put on when I have a microphone in my face, because my actual demeanor in person is, here's my, here's my take. Someone tell me if I'm wrong. You know, I thought this was modeled really well at Beachwood recently. My wife mentioned this on the way home from church that day. Uh, We've been going through the law. Well, I should say, we've been going through the Ten Commandments. And on week four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, our, pa- our lead pastor, Doug, he actually didn't preach from behind the pulpit, that place that indicates such authority, declarative authority, where you might just say, here's how it is. He actually came down, sat in a chair, very teaching style, and just very humbly said, you know, there are four views on this, four historic, orthodox ways people thought about it. He gave his, his position, but you... You left there knowing two things. I need to make a decision on what I think about this. And two, I'm safe to disagree with my pastor. I'm safe to disagree with other people in this room. I need to make a decision. I need to decide. It's important. But there's a lot of freedom. Just that posture, that posture of coming down and seating, you can have that verbally in a conversation where you just say, here's my take. I'm I'm not totally sure. Here's where I've landed. And then give that out, especially as we're discussing this new 
Controversy inside the church about what we do with how we relate to government. Uh, number two story here on the Corey Truax Show, wherever you find podcasts. The show Ted Lasso is a hit on Apple TV. We watch it every week together. We only picked it up, I guess, last year. Uh, I mean, it, it, it was in the last calendar year, so we got to binge through, not really, like one episode at a time, but we got to, we got to watch 20 episodes through two, two seasons in probably two months. Great show, incredible storytelling, the first two seasons especially. It's one of those one of those shows that I, I can recommend to you at least the first two seasons and that it's it's heartwarming. It is sweet. It's funny. It's hard to be both. It's hard to be both genuinely funny without being raunchy and you can still it put puts you in your feelings. Ted Lasso is a great show. But they I've noticed here in season three one of the phenomenon that I've noticed in media is happening to the show. I've said to you a few times, it's been clear to me lately in modern media that the new modern secular media is taking the role or the tact, the tactic of Christian media in the 90s and 2000s where the point wasn't to make good art. The point was to make the point. So you'll make fairly bad movies about marriage, but you make but you make the point marriage is important and you should fight for your marriage. You make you know, not not all that inspiring songs, but they're worshipful in nature and you made you made your point. And so you're making art to make a point, and the art suffered. Just in the eight episodes that have been out thus far for Ted Lasso, for no no narrative reason, not not key to the show, no narrative reason. They've introduced one lesbian relationship that's already ended and introduced that one of the characters was a closeted but no longer closeted gay man so that they could work through that together with the with the group. And even in that storytelling, I'm not saying they didn't they did a terrible job in that storytelling. I'm saying there's it, this is obviously what happened in the writers room. And this will happen in Hollywood writers rooms because disproportionately those parts of the country and in those uh, industries, you're going to have a larger share of homosexual people in that in those industries and in those rooms. What's going to happen is you get in the writers' room and stop saying what should happen with these incredible characters that we've created that people love so much. Let's let's think about what would be a really good story for these characters. Someone just pipes up and says, "We haven't had any gay people on the show. We're going to need to do some gay stuff." You know. So let's and so now that we've decided that we need a lesbian uh, storyline, we need a gay storyline. Let's pick a character where it fits. See that that is you know, Ted. La- t- listen, the show's still fine uh, in terms of quality. I guess I'm just, it's it's greatly suffered in season three. But basically, Ted Lasso season three did the same thing that whoever did the God's Not Dead movies did. the The point of Kevin Sorbo <laughs> converting at the end of God's Not Dead while Tate and the Newsboys singing the arena was not a decision in the writer's room about what would be a good story. They just asked, who could have a deathbed conversion? Let's put it on that guy because we got to have a deathbed conversion. Same thing with Ted Lasso. It became, we got to have gay stuff. Find someone to put it on. You put it on TV. And of course, that's going to happen. So our, our new religion... The new dominant secular religion is sexuality. It's the dominant religion for everything. The zeitgeist, the 
the thought of the age is your sexual fulfillment is everything. That is the centerpiece of everyone's life. And so what we have to get our God sexual fulfillment into our shows to show fealty and show worship. So anyway, I just thought I'd, I, I noticed a outworking of something I have theorized in the past that secular media is now just the Christian media of the 90s. They're making points instead of good shows and good movies. All right, I'll finish here. On the Corey Truax Show, story number three. I did politics a long time ago. I'm not super interested in it, but for some reason, not for some reason, I built my entire reputation on being a politics guy. I built an audience on it. Lost a lot of them. On being a politics guy, so... I was talking to some folks who listened to my show here recently. Kind of knew them, kind of didn't. I mean, they were from a different era of, of life. That's what they miss. They miss They miss political me, so whatever. Let's do it. Uh, just We had a town hall, or CNN did, with the former president of the United States, uh, the most recent former president, Donald Trump. And, man, uh, yeah, uh, I have some thoughts. One is it is hilariously the worst of all worlds for everyone involved. And including the country, the worst of all worlds for every, for everyone, for Trump, for CNN, for the Collins lady or whatever her name was who hosted it, uh, for the country at large, it's the worst of all worlds. But it's the worst of all worlds because everyone pursued their own self-interest. That's a good lesson for life. When you're in a group where everyone is pursuing their own self-interest, often bad things happen. You got to be in a group where you're willing to give up some of your own self-interest for the people you're working with. Now, here's what I mean by that. CNN needs Donald Trump, desperately. They were rolling in money when he was around, when he was campaigning and president, because there's a religion set up around this guy. There's a religion in his worship, folks who cannot get enough of him and everything he does is good. But there's also a religion where, I mean, I would almost call it, don't let the, don't let the word freak you out, it's some kind of Trump hatred porn, where they just they got to see people hate him and it's satisfying to see people hate him or yell at him or something about or yell about him. And so there's a group of people in the country, I would put it at around 40 million of the, of the of Americans have him somewhere in their heart as their greatest good or greatest evil. And it's, so in CNN knowing that, knowing that their their audience dwindled when he went off the scene, they need to be successful so they can have continue to have reasons to cover him because people will tune in just to hate him. They get a rush out of it. So, we have CNN with their self self-interest. I need ratings. I need him to do well, so I'll bring him on. But not only will I bring him on, I will bring him on and ask the questions and talk about the topics that satisfy my current core audience. The current core audience is going to be left of center people who don't like him. So, we're going to ask him about stuff that his people don't care about. So we're going to talk about January 6th, and we're going to talk about uh, election 2020, things in the past. We're going to talk about the, the her name. The, that we're going to talk about those things. And so we get to have our ratings, and we get to satisfy our core audience by having a strong woman stand up to Trump on these topics that we want him to have to answer for. And so you satisfy that core group. At the same time, you've invited Trump people into a room to watch him, and you've invited his audience to tune in, 
and they get to see the thing that they love the most, which is him just be belligerent and run over the media because they despise the media. They don't care that you ask about those things because he's going to talk over you and bully you and call you nasty. And so the audience on the left is satisfied because he's having to be held to account by this journalist. And his audience is satisfied because he's just running all over and being being him and belligerent about it. That's And then so the, your audiences are satisfied, but nothing good comes of it. And nothing good came out of that thing. So anyway, we'll keep watching uh, the primary as it progresses. The governor of Florida should be getting in within a month. The uh, Florida legislative session ends. And that's we'll, we'll see if there is any weakness in the uh, former president's armor here as he marches on. Um, in my estimation, unfortunately, towards a uh, towards that contest. All right, and that's all the interest I really have in political things. I'm going to stop it right there. Hey, uh, I'm going to try to do more than one episode next week. I'm, I'm hopeful that's going to happen. I like this 30-minute time block situation for us uh, where you don't have to get too much of me, but I, uh, I even this week I had a couple things I wanted to, wanted to get out there, and then they were time-sensitive, and I just ran out of time and couldn't do it. So I'm, I'm hopeful to do this more often. Uh, also, please give feedback, Show at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. And I'll be back with another new edition of the show sometime very soon. Until then, everybody, peace and love.